I grew up with Barbara Kentner on D Street. Our parents played baseball together. Barb taught me to swim. It was just really fun days of running around that neighborhood of downtown Fort William around Mackenzie Street. And um, it was the same experience of like always having things thrown at us from cars. It was like a tradition that non-native people did. And it was very socially acceptable. Call the cops, the cops would be like, well, are they still there? And I'm like, no, they left. Oh, well, we can't do anything, they left. So I'm like, okay, so the cops are not gonna help me. In 2017, I saw Melissa posted on Facebook. She's like, my sister got hit with a trailer hitch. And then we all started sharing it on native Facebook. We're like, oh my God, like this woman got hit with a trailer hitch and she's in the hospital. and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. I'm a lawyer, professor, author, and activist from Eel River Bar First Nation, and I care very much about online education and education for action, not just awareness, action on Indigenous rights, social justice, and protecting our planet. And on this podcast, you're going to get an education of a different kind, one that comes straight from the voices of Native people. One that's enriched by the cultures, insights, and experiences of Indigenous activists, land defenders, and water protectors on the ground, as well as artists, lawyers, academics, leaders. We even have chefs on this show, all of whom are on the front lines of resistance, resurgence, and cultural revitalization. And today's podcast is going to be a super fun one. I may, in fact, even learn how to powwow. So stay tuned. Welcome back, Warriors. Today's podcast is with the incredible, amazing, awesome, I'm so fangirling over Deanne Hupfield. I literally follow her on all of her social media. I watch all of her videos whenever she's on TikTok, anywhere. I'm watching her content. She is, here she is, an amazing, amazing person. She is an artist, a dancer, a maker of traditional regalia, She's an educator, a public speaker, and apparently a mom and a hundred other things that I couldn't even <laughs> list on this podcast. And I, I don't know, I feel like I, I am a broken record, but every time I meet an artist, they're never just an artist. And an artist is a big thing. They're always doing a thousand other things. So thank you so much for taking the time out of what is an amazingly busy life to come in and help educate our listeners here on the show. Uh, miigwech, Pam. I'm also, I'm also fangirling. <laughs> <laughs> Love it when it's a two-way street, eh? <laughs> well, thank you again for, for doing this. And before we get right into it, because I always have a thousand questions, uh, perhaps you could introduce yourself the way you like to, the First Nation you're from, your nation, anything about your about yourself. Ani Bojo Nanukasin Indijnakaz Toronto Donjaba Name Dodem. My name is Deanne Hupfield. I'm from Tamagami First Nation. My, um, I have connections to different communities as well in Treaty 3. My dad's from Treaty 3 and my uh, maternal grandpa, Wabagoon, Wajash Konegum, and um, Big Island First Nation. So I have lots of cousins up north. Um, 
And yeah, I've been teaching power dance for a really long time. And it's um, one of my most favorite things to do. Well, with everything amazing that you do and all of your incredible experiences, I know from every single Native person I've had on this podcast, everything is not always as it appears. You know, someone might be playing guitar on stage at a concert. Someone might be a famous artist or a book writer. But all of us have a context. We we have all been part of this colonial process that has had its uh, wounds on all of us. And I just want to make sure that people understand that you can do all of these amazing things, even though we've had difficulties. And I, I'm just wondering if you'd like to share a little bit about your background. Yeah, of course. Um, I've been on a journey of reclaiming my language, Anishinaabemowin, and I learned this really amazing word from um, that guy that wrote the Ojibwe, uh, James Vukalich. Uh, he taught me this word, uh, Anakobijigan. And Anakobijigan, it means great-grandparent and it means great-grandchild. And it connects um, if, with you in the center. It connects you to have to those who have come before you and those who are coming after you. So... I learning that I always like to share like my my Anakobijigan story. So like I was saying, my maternal grandfather was from Wabagoon First Nation. His dad, my great grandfather, my Anakobijigan, uh, was Jeff Chief. And Jeff Chief was sent to residential school in Kenora. And he was very lucky. He survived residential school and he was he aged out and went back to Wabagoon and he had a family. And when his son, Tom Chief, became of age, uh, the Indian agent who was living on the reserve and enforcing the Indian Act went and took my grandpa Tom and took him off to residential school. And my great grandpa, he knew what residential school was all about and he didn't want his son there. So he went to the Indian agent and was like, how do I get my, like, I want my son back. How do I get my son back? And then the Indian agent said that he had to become a Canadian citizen by disenfranchising. And so he did. He disenfranchised. He lost his status. He went and got his son from residential school. And when he got back, they're like, oh, you can't live on the reserve anymore. You're not a status Indian. So they kicked him off the reserve and they were sent to live outside of Denorwick. And it was like this little tiny road right off the highway. And it was called Métis Road. And that's where all the disenfranchised natives would go live on this tiny road. Wow. Wow. People don't realize just the extent to which all of our families have been impacted and not just by one thing. So not just residential schools, but it's like residential schools and Indian Act and forced adoptions and foster care and like all of these things. It's like stacked up and stacked up in families. It's not just one thing and one thing would be bad enough. So um, how did you come along? Like wh what was your experiences as a kid and did you always want to be a traditional regalia artist did you always want to be a powwow dancer like where did all this come from well like um so my mom grew up on that road and then she was taken into the 60 scoop when she was just like six years old so she was apprehended and then they asked her they said do you want to be adopted or do you want to go into foster care and she's like a six-year-old child and she was like I want to go into foster care so like my mom was 60 scoop in the foster care system. She lived in like 17 different foster homes until she aged out at 18. 
And then she met my dad, who was Nishnabe, also disenfranchised from his his dad went to World War II and lost his status. So my mom um, met him, married him, had me at 19 years old. And yeah, it was just like one of the the generational trauma that was passed down to me from that because she had me very young, right out of care. Like I ended up getting apprehended at age four. And my mom being a descendant of 60 Scoop, she knew what foster care was like and she didn't want me to have that experience. So she went to treatment and she got her life together and got me back. And then she took me to my very first powwow and I think it was 1990 in Thunder Bay at the Fort William Gardens. Mm-hmm. And I just remember seeing all the dancers and I just like, I there was like this one woman dancing and, and she was spinning and I, I still remember her. And I was like, mom, I want to learn to do this. And she was like, I can't, mm-hmm. I don't know this. So she's like, you got to go follow these, those dancers. So I just followed the jingle dress dancers around in my socks or my shoes, just real dirty mm-hmm. socks. <laughs> <laughs> running around the powwow and then she just kept bringing me back and then my life was so hard being a child like my my dad was not around because of his own experience like being the child of residential school survivors and and war so like he had us and then he was just gone dealing with his own trauma and then um I became an alcoholic like at the age of 12 like 12 years old I was like in Thunder Bay, Ontario, in and out of foster care, just like having a really hard life. But that was the norm. My whole community was doing this. It was normal to party. It was normal to do crime. We were all very poor and I would get bullied for it. So I ended up um, shoplifting when I was like 12. I'm like, well, if my peers, my non-native peers are going to bully me for not having nice things, I'm just going to go to the mall and I'm going to take what I need. And being a small child, like 12 years old, I got away with it for a very, like a little bit. And then eventually I was caught and then I was sent to juvie. And then it was in juvie where I was just in juvie with my peers. <laughs> like my best friend was there, my cousins. And and then they sent as like 90%, well, like 75% native kids in juvie. They sent me to like a program for at-risk native kids called the New Experience Program run by an Indigenous social worker. And he took us to ceremony. He took us to powwows. He helped us start a business. And like he, yeah, he really showed up for us. And he understood because he was like, he was a Native social worker. He struggled with addictions. He grew up in poverty and trauma. And he was the only one that really connected. And it was, his thing was so incredible. There was like, it was like Thunder Bay in the 90s he had these sharing circles like every Tuesday and there would be like 40 teenage kids there just listening to him. Like we all went and that was, and now that I'm like grown up, I'm like, wow. (laughs) I'm like, there was so much kids and we would all just come and listen to him talk. And he took me under his wing and he eventually became my foster parent at age 15. And then, yeah. And then I was still living through my own trauma and addictions and we would, I would relapse and he would boot me out and, and then I would sober up and then he, I would go back and live with him and his family. So uh, like uh, I was really close with, with his children. I supported his wife, Sharon. And then, yeah, like when I got, I, um, 
was living in Thunder Bay and I was struggling through my addictions and dancing was really starting to like help me. And I was always dreaming of a better life, even though I was still living in the, in the crap and like the racism of Thunder Bay, like, like people would just throw things at me from cars if I was walking down the street and they would just like call me names like squaw or explicit (laughs) and like that was but that was everyone's experience that was just normal you just like yell at them it was like mostly non-native boys like teenage boys Mm -hmm. in their cars and then so it was just really really a hard time like living through all that and but then I had like this dream of becoming a dancer this this safe place of dancing And then I started, I made my first regalia and then I finished it when I was 15 and uh, Ron and his program took me to a powwow in Duluth, Minnesota. And then we did a, like a feasting ceremony for my regalia on the shores of Lake Superior. And it was a beautiful day. And we laid out the regalia on the blanket with cedar in the four directions. And I had my little spirit dish and, Ron, he gave me teachings about the responsibilities of being a power dancer. And like, you live in a good way, you learn your language, uh, you do the right thing, even when it's hard. And, and then I had, I didn't know what to put on my regalia. So I had these two sons on it. He's like, do you want that life? And I was like, yes, I want a a happy, sunny life. And he's like, well, you, he's like, you got to stop with the addictions. Cause at that point I was really struggling with addictions as like a teenager. Wow. And, you know, your story seems to be like the story that so many of us have. Obviously, we all live in different First Nations and have different experiences and different families over time. But, you know, for people who may not be aware of Thunder Bay and the history of the problems in Thunder Bay, racism in policing and racism in social services and uh, no access oh. to quality education on reserve. And then I'm thinking about uh, a woman who was very special to you, who really directed all of Canada's attention on Thunder Bay. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about her so that we can honor her. Yeah. So um, I grew up with Barbara Kentner on D Street. Our parents played baseball together. Barb taught me to swim. We would always like, it's so funny. Our parents, like my mom, she was very hands off. And so was, so were Barb's parents. Um, they, we would just like go to Windmill Pool and we just stay there all summer, every day, all day at the pool. Like no parents, we would just go. And that was just how my mom was parented. She, so mm-hmm. we just went and yeah, it was just really fun days of running around that neighborhood of downtown Fort William around Mackenzie street. And um, yeah, it was just a really good life when we were small and like Rod worked and like my mom didn't, or um, like Barb's parents worked and they, so that sometimes they had nice things like they had a video camera and we would go and we would jump and play on beds and record our, ourselves. And we were like rough little native kids. So we just like beat each other up and then <laughs> film it. not like really terrible, but just like just silly fun stuff, jumping off of um, garages in the wintertime or playing in puddles, swimming in puddles <laughs> in downtown Thunder Bay. So yeah, we had like, um, it was a good life. We were, our parents played baseball. Yeah. And then um, 
is the same experience of like always having things thrown at us from cars. It was like a tradition that non-native people did. And it was very socially acceptable. You call the cops, the cops would be like, well, are they still there? And I'm like, no, mm -hmm. they left. Oh, well, we can't do anything. They left. So I'm like, okay, so the cops are not going to help me. Um, whatever. And then in 2017, I saw Melissa posted on Facebook. She's like, my sister got hit with a trailer hitch. And then we all started sharing it on native Facebook. We're like, oh my God, like this woman got hit with a trailer hitch and she's in the hospital. And then it was through that native Facebook where they, that CBC got in and picked it up and then became like a national story. And then I, I helped Barb and Serena like raise money and I had to go through a GoFundMe and I would get so much like hate mail from that. Like there's like a really racist website in Thunder Bay and they would all come at me and say like, she deserved it and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, she was just walking. Like she wasn't doing yeah. anything. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, we were able to support her and then until she passed and then we were able to support Serena and then Serena passed. And then I was just listening to your Jules Kustachin thing. And I was like, oh, we should do something good for Barb. That would be so nice. Yeah. Just something positive. Because, like, yeah, she's from Wabagoon. And that's where um, my grandpa, um, Tom Chief, was from. So, And I didn't even, like, we didn't grow up as cousins. We grew up as, like, we're just friends. But then when that all happened, my mom was like, oh, yeah, like, we're related. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, we're related? Like, how come you never told me that? But, yeah. But, yeah, it's just like natives. Like, we're all related. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're all. I'm probably your cousin some, somewhere down the line. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, our great greats uh, met or something. Well, um, I I'm sorry for your loss. I I'm, I'm sorry, like all of that happened. And I can't help but think, you know, we, we should honor Barbara because she and all of the people who are on native social media. And that's one of the reasons why I love social media. I know there's a lot of bad to it, but we can get together. We can rally a cause. We can inform everyone that's going on. And then the media have to do something about it. Right. So, you know, in the past, they'd be like, oh, who cares? But if everybody's talking about it, then it brings attention to it. And she brought attention. She helped literally draw everyone's attention to the horrible, violent racism that is just normalized in Thunder Bay. It's not even like, a, oh, can you imagine that happened? It's like, yeah, help, it happens all the time. And it's not the first time. And everyone knows about it. And the police know about it. So um, I, I, I am sorry for your loss. And, I, and I'm sorry that Barbara's not here because, you know... Every, her experience helped the rest of the world know what's happening. And we, one can only hope that things will, you know, change from there. But I agree with you. I think she's someone who definitely should be honored. Um, and, and you too, for all like knowing that you've gone through these experiences and other young native girls have gone through these experiences and think of all of the native kids going to school who never survived because they were murdered or disappeared. Like, for that to be a regular occurrence, I don't think people really understand that context. And, and I can only imagine like that kind of journey with your, you know, your childhood and your family and what everything that's happened, you know, losing Barbara. 
some people might just say, you know what, that's it. Uh, I'm, I'm not contributing. I, I just, I don't have it in me to be able to contribute. And you seem to be able to push through and say, you know what, powwow dancing is what helped me get through. And I want to share that with other people. So can you just talk a little bit about your YouTube channel? Like it's, uh, I think it's called how to powwow dance. And I've even seen videos like how to powwow dance for kids. And I'm like, yes, oh my gosh, yes, this is so amazing. How did this all come about for you? Well, I've been teaching since I was 17. I would go back to those juvie homes and I would try to talk to the kids in juvie it's like oh just so you know like all you native <laughs> kids in juvie like I'm a powwow dancer now and like powwow and it's been really helpful to me and I feel very strong and I would tell stories of like when you you can go out there and you can dance through hard things you can think about those hard things that you live through and you can just dance and dance and dance and it's a healing dance so when you're done like you can feel better. And so I've been teaching since I was 17. My, I taught my first class at Ogden School in Thunder Bay. Me and my best friend, Clara Moses, were like, yeah, we're going to do a powwow dance class. We went to like the multicultural center at the Victoriaville and we printed out flyers and we handed it out at Brody Street Terminal. I had my first class and a bunch of native women showed up and me and Clara were there. And then they're like, okay. They're like, what do we do? I'm like, okay, we're good. Me and Claire are going to dance and you guys are just going to follow us. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, that's, that's a, like, that's cause that's how I learned. <laughs> and then uh, they never came back again. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and I was very young. I was 19. I had booked the, that gym for like three weeks or three months. And I, it was like $20 an hour and then I never canceled it and I never paid the bill. <laughs> and then eventually I got like an R9 on my credit report and it followed <laughs> me around. And because no one ever taught me about that stuff when I was little. But um I I kept pushing, I tried to go into nursing. I'm like, well, I need to make a better life. I'm gonna go into nursing. I'm like, I'm like, oh, this is really gonna interfere with my power life. So I don't wanna do this. I'm gonna do entrepreneurship. And I went to Confederation College. And then from there I was like. I'm like, I'm going to go to fashion. I'm going to go to Toronto because I don't know how to sew properly. I can do, I can sew, but I don't know how to make flares or sleeves or, or buttons. So I'm like, so I did. And like, um, Ron, the social worker and his oldest daughter, they drove me to Toronto and they, they helped me find a place. Wow. They, and then they just left me there. Oh <laughs> like, no. <laughs> which, well, like, of course, like we found, he was like, okay, you got a safe place. I got to go back to Thunder Bay. I got to go to work. And like, I was like, okay, bye. And then yeah. I'm just like in Toronto and I don't know anyone. At this time I was like 23 years old and I went to fashion school and I went to the native center. I was like, can you hire me to teach power dance? And they're like, sure. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then I'm like, can I also do regalia making? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, okay. And then I just started teaching there and, I went to the Royal Conservatory of um, of Toronto to like take classes on how to develop lesson plans and how to be a better teacher, like to learn yeah. through doing things and story and song and handling things. And yeah, it was a great experience and I became a better teacher. I started teaching in the schools wow. and then it was so crazy though. Like <laughs> I went to my first class at like a Toronto public 
school board in the West End. And I taught my very first class by myself. And I, I did a dance presentation in my regalia. And it was grade one class. And I said, okay, what is my class? What does my dance remind you of kids? And then this little girl put up her hand. And she said, you remind me of a drunk Indian. And I was like, I just look at the teacher. And I'm like, and then the teacher quickly shushed the little girl in grade one. And I'm like, no, I was I was going for butterfly. <laughs> that was what I was seeking. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And then so I like she the teacher came back and said, I talked to the parents and the child watched Peter Pan last year. So like, don't worry, they're not racist. And I was like, okay. What? <laughs> what is that? How is that even related? <laughs> so wow. like I like doing the teaching. Kids are amazing and resilient and they have so much to contribute. But yeah, you get lots of microaggressions and people like teachers sometimes don't know that they're being aggressive, like doing microaggressions like, oh, are you full blooded Indian? And I'm like, no, they're like, oh, well, you sound like it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) So it's like trying to get so. I always like go and work in non-native communities and then I'll like, I've had enough. I'm going yeah, back yeah. into my community and I'm going to go and support native kids. Cause like, that's the, like, I feel really imp- like that's where the work is important. And that's where my mm-hmm. heart is. It's like helping people um, reconnect to things so that they can mm-hmm. also have a good life because like, I just keep losing people like addiction, suicide, like it's it's unrelenting like it's constant and I'm just like sick of it so I'm like well what can I do with my time that's gonna like mm-hmm. help my community so that's why I'm always just like hyper fixated like I'm gonna help native people I'm gonna work with power dancers and create power like and then I started like me and my my husband was doing his master's in education and then one of his homework was to make an online resource so He's like, let's go out back into the into the park back there and we're going to go and do this video. So we did for his class. It took us like 30 minutes and he edited it and put it on YouTube. And then he finished his course. And then that video, it went super viral in on like John's YouTube channel. And then people were always and we didn't even check on it for a long time. And then he's like, oh, your video is like getting really popular. And I was like, so I'd go and read. And it was like all these other native people like thank you. Like I'm native and I don't know anything like this video is so important. And I was like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, that's what I got to do. I got to put stuff online, but I didn't do anything for like four years. Cause I had children. And then um, at the pandemic, I was working in the schools and I was teaching like 250 kids a week and my head was spinning. And I was like, I'm like, I'm going to, now that we're in the pandemic, like I need purpose. I'm going to make some YouTube videos. And then I, did one a week for like nine weeks and then I just stopped and I haven't really posted since because like my kids I have um I have two children of my own and I have three of my sister's children because my sister um she struggles with addiction so I got her kids like like five and a half years ago so during the pandemic I had like five kids all on online school and it was just like a lot (laughs) We're just like locked in the house, but it was, it was good. We survived. 
Yeah. Well, and more than just survived, you sit here and you talk about it with this like big beaming smile on your face, which is what I love because people who have reconnected in different ways for different things over time, they, they too haven't always had a good experience. Like, so for example, I've been in ceremonies with elders who criticize if you don't do the right thing in the right moment or you mess something up or you breach a protocol you didn't even know existed and they're yelling and just you know belittling people and I'm like all oh, those poor people but then you're with like elders and knowledge keepers and people like you who are like gentle and kind and supportive and it's like here follow me and I'll I'll help you along this this process and I just feel like if only more people could really just put themselves in the shoes of us, like, how can we be judged for genocide? How can we be judged for colonization? How can we be judged for the Indian Act and 60s scoop and all the ways in which Canada separated us on purpose? And the fact that we want to reconnect really should be embraced. And I find like the majority of people are great, but there's always, you know, those couple who are very judgy and... Uh, so I, I really like that you uh, you do it in a spirit of experience and your story of reconnecting and that you're kind about it. Like people want to watch your stuff and follow you on social media because you're really sweet about all of that stuff. And um, my other thing that I always I look for online, because as you know, online, it could be anybody. Uh, I care a lot about authenticity. You know, there's the whole Wikipedia version, uh, this mishmash of like what native culture is, as if there's like one big homogenous native culture and everything native culture is dream catchers and something else, you know, and it's just like a big mishmash of cultures and traditions. Whereas I'm always looking for authenticity. Who is the Anishinaabeg people that are sharing Anishinaabeg culture or teachings or things like that? Who are the Mi'kmaq people? Who are the Wet'suwet'en people? And really looking for authentic people because I don't have to tell you, there are so many fakes and frauds and wannabes and, you know, new agers that are out there doing the mishmash, appropriating our culture, appropriating our content. And I'm just wondering, like, what's your perspective on that? Have you ever had any experience with people trying to appropriate the things that you're sharing? And how important is it that it's really authentic people, authentic Native people doing this? Well, uh, that's one of the main reasons why I haven't been posting. I'm trying to figure out how to do it in an ethical way because I have been checked by my community. I got in trouble <laughs> from my Thunder Bay Powell community. They're like, you can't just put everything. Don't put it all online. Like we need to have human connection with each other. Um, so I'm like, I'm like, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so right now, I'm trying to, I do want to go back to doing like a powwow club series for kids specifically and, and talk about indigenous education and, and really, cause, because my, my videos have impacted a lot of people and every powwow I go to kids are coming up to me. They're like, I watch your videos. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. So <laughs> I want to do it in an authentic way. So in my videos, I always say like, you should like connect with human beings. Like if, like I'm Nishnabe, I'm Ojibwe. I can speak for myself this way. And like, if you're claiming to be native to power dance, you need to do it with the support of the nation that you come from. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, there's so much people 
who have these DNA tests that come back as 1% and then they feel entitled to just take everything now that's native and I'm a native woman now and I'm going to be the native teacher and I'm going to make a regalia and that's not inappropriate. That's that's Or th that is inappropriate and that's not how it works. You Like I did my regalia making through relationships through teachers for years and through ceremony like they put me in there. It wasn't just me following a video online and then mm -hmm. showing up at the powwow and then doing it myself with no one to keep me in check because we keep each other in check. And if you don't have those kinship ties to family, then it's, yeah, you gotta, I always tell, say if people come to my class and they're like, Oh, I don't know where I'm from. I'm like, well, you gotta do that. You have the responsibility of doing that work before you, come and take pow dancing mm -hmm. as your own like you're it yeah. needs to be there needs to be like um the ethics and then mm -hmm. yeah it's just really it's such people really fetishize pow dancing they want to be the beautiful dancer with the feather and but they a lot yeah there are a lot of people that aren't indigenous who are taking this as their own and benefiting from it so it's really <laughs> tough to watch <laughs> especially on social media. So I love social media. The fact that we can connect in ways that we couldn't before we can strategize, collaborate, help keep each other connected. So one of the really frustrating things about social media is really keeping track of all of the non-native people who are just really out to exploit. Like I've had people uh, use my TikToks as their TikToks or use my YouTube videos and just blankly post them on their YouTubes to get more viewers without any credit or anything as if they're the ones producing that. Have you ever had that happen to you? Yeah, I get like, like right now, a lot of, I make my videos downloadable on TikTok and like fake companies from different, like Vietnam, I think I suspect they're like reposting. It's like a native page and they're trying to sell like native teachers, native t-shirts or native clothing. Um, but I'm trying to figure, or they monetize my videos on Facebook. And I'm just, I always have to find them. People will tag me and then I'll go and make a claim, a copyright claim. But yeah, it's, it's been, it is really cool. Cause like I'm a, a stay at home mom with five kids and I'm very busy. I don't get out a lot besides to powwows, but I'm still able to have an impact on the native community and people listen to me and I'm like, this is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because you're people want to follow people who make them feel good or are teaching them something or are leading with positivity. I know there's a whole bunch of like hater angry groups that like following hater angry people and all that other stuff. But I think for us, we just like really want to connect with one another and learn from each other. And and honestly, like the whole point you make about reconnecting with your community or extended family and the people who are the knowledge keepers or elders or the people who have all the skills. So important because I agree with you. The first people to check me are my family. Second people to check me are my community. Like, Hey, <laughs> what are you doing? Or what yeah. are you saying? And, and that's all important, but you provide a resource that in between times or when you're home with your kids or whatever's happening, you can still connect and you can still learn in a way that's uh, a safe way. No one's going to, you know, make fun of you while you're doing all of these things in conjunction. I think the important thing is, is you don't just do one, 
you know, you got to make sure that you're, you're doing all of these things together. And I understand that you have two websites because I've been to them. You've got the Deanne Hupfield website, which has so much information about you and the things you do and your public speaking on a whole bunch of different issues. And then you have this other website, which is regaliamaking.com, which is just fantastic. I keep thinking, should I sign up? Should I sign up? Should I do this? Because just so you know, my attempts at regalia making, you know how they always say, get some like uh, broad cloth or just white cloth and like practice first, you know, <laughs> practice putting an elastic in a, you know, your waist and do a- Oh my gosh, they always come out looking like some kind of Frankenstein creation. <laughs> I'm like, I am not meant to do this. But knowing that there's resources like this, and there weren't 20 years ago, right? Like the fact, the ways in which we've been able to reconnect is just so important. And I love all of the work you do. Now, I get a lot of questions from people. So whether it's uh, National Indigenous People's Day or Truth and Reconciliation Day or Red Dress Awareness Day or any other time during the year, I'll get non-Native people who will send me an email and say, hey, Pam, I want to support Native artists. Is it okay if I buy that Native artist's uh, painting? Is it okay if I buy some of those beaded earrings? Is it okay if I buy a t-shirt from Native people? What would you say to them? Well, yeah, of course, as long as you're buying from an Indigenous artist, like that's great. And when it comes to powwow dancing, I always welcome non-Native people to come. It's like, you don't need an invitation. If you see a posting for a powwow, you can just show up. And there's always an MC there who will guide you through what needs to happen. And you just take the MC's advice, stand up, sit down. Like now is for jingle dress. Now is grand entry. Now is an honor song. Put your cameras away. Um, and even being like at Six Nations this year, there was so many spectators. And it's really cool to see. And um, yeah, like you can go and you can you can dance the inner tribals. And then the the only thing that I always say is like regalia making is a mm-hmm. closed practice. It's for native people. The regalia represents the nation that the person belongs to. It represents their story as a dancer. So like, um, and I've even, I've, because I've been doing this so long, I, I sat down and I'm like, well, what about incorporating non-native people into the power circle as dancers? And like, it keeps coming back to like, well, we're in a time of reclaiming those who have been disconnected. So like, let's focus our love and energy on reclaiming those who were taught to be ashamed of their culture and let's get them. And then maybe when we have land back, we can talk about incorporating non-native people as power dancers. That's such good advice because I've always seen this clear line between yes, buy our clothing, buy the earrings that they're for sale. You're helping artists, paintings, music, all of these things. Yes, 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 do it. But then when it comes to, there's like a, there's this line where you want to make sure that you're not appropriating, expropriating, or exploiting something that's uniquely Anishinaabeg for Anishinaabeg people. Like when you see intertribal dancing, that's fantastic. I've seen people go there with their Scottish kilts on. I've seen people go with, you know, different things that represent their particular cultures uh, during intertribal. That's fantastic. I, I personally would be mortified 
if I saw someone trying to dress in traditional Mi'kmaq regalia and come off as a Mi'kmaq person when they're not, that to me, that's just expropriation and exploitation. And sadly, so many people are doing that right now. It is so frustrating. And just like you said, the priority needs to be reconnecting our people and bringing our people back home. And I think of all the things people who are reconnecting have told me, one of the things they worry about most is all of these pretendians, fakes, frauds, and you name it, causing so many problems. They're now fearful to reconnect because they're mm-hmm. worried that their community is going to think they're a pretendian because they don't know what the cultural traditions are. So all these pretendians do is make people who suffered from residential schools or 60 scoop or foster care or incarceration feel fearful and self-conscious and may not, in fact, ever reach out because they don't want to get the wrath of the pretendians, which the pretendians deserve. And um, I'm really glad that you made that point because we shouldn't be making it harder for these people who have been disconnected. We should be making it easier. So then that makes me think about, okay, so there's things that are for Native people specifically. There's things that we can share with and we want to share and we love to share. And then there's things like um, public speaking, which is a form of broader public education so that the whole population understands us, where we come from. And I understand you do some public speaking and you do keynotes around Indigenous awareness and cultural competency. Now, it's not too often I see those things together. I've seen a lot of like awareness, but I haven't seen with cultural competency. Can you tell me a little bit about that and what people can expect if you're doing a keynote with them? So I normally go and I share like the history of Indian act and how, and then I shared through story. So like how it affected me and my family. And I take people on a journey of like Indian act, residential school, power dance, and kind of just like my story. I frame it in a, in like a one hour lecture or one hour talk where I just talk. And it depends. I, I do cater it to different events, but I love, I love telling stories. I love going to events and sharing just providing people with education from a, like a native person. So yeah, I haven't been doing so much. I've been more so doing regalia making pattern development. Um, yeah. Which brings me to the next thing, the next big project that I'm doing. Oh, what is this? So I got, um, I got a huge grant from MasterCard to go to five what? different communities to train regalia making facilitators so yeah so I'm gonna go my first city I'm gonna stop in is Thunder Bay and I'm gonna invite like people from the northern flying communities to come down because they're really taking on powwow dance in a lot of the northern communities which is new they didn't always they weren't always accepting of powwow dance culture so it's really nice to see that um yeah so I'll invite some northern communities and then some urban and and then I'm gonna go to Winnipeg and Peguis And then I think I'm going to go to Edmonton as well. But yeah, that's cool. And that's major, you know, and I and I'm really thankful that more and more, not just governments, but actual businesses and corporations and institutions and schools and universities are really coming around to embracing uh, 
you know, supporting Indigenous peoples and actually paying them for their labor, you know, because you just think about the awareness days where it was just cultural awareness, where we were expected to go in, have a nonstop schedule of just constantly educating people, never paid for our travel, never paid for our labor, or all of the work that goes into that. Never mind, we have kids to support. Whereas nowadays, there's more grants, there's more support, institutions realize, well, you know what? we're paying this other dude $40,000 to do public speaking. Maybe we should be paying some of these indigenous speakers too, because we we're teaching things people have never, like never even realized before. We're, we're the ones doing what, you know, government should have been doing all along with public education. So it's a real public service to do that. And I'm so excited for you. I can't wait to hear about it. I hope you share some of your experiences on social media about that all, all when it happens. Um, cause I know there's a lot of young people that follow you and just, just love all the work you do. And I'm not so young, but I am the same <laughs> way. So do you have any advice for native youth in this, in this sense? Um, sometimes native youth will reach out to me and say, you know, I wish I could be an artist like that person or a singer like that person or a keynote speaker like that person. But you know, I've made mistakes in my life and I've had a hard time. So I'm not like superstar status. And, and I'm just thinking one of the reasons why I do this podcast is so you can realize we all have a story. We've all made tons of mistakes, but that doesn't mean you can't pursue your dream. So do you have any advice for these young people who are feeling like I want to do these things, but I'm not sure if I can, because I think I made some mistakes in the past. Well, yeah, I'm the, I made a lot of mistakes and you just like fail your way forward. You just keep doing it. You keep doing it. You mess up. You learn something. You do it again. Try it on. See if you like it. Keep going if you like it. And it's like, yeah, you just got to keep trying. Keep dreaming. Like when I was a broke kid, I never knew I could have a dream. I thought like what I got was just what I got. But it, it was like that cheesy Oprah show of like that the secret that book the secret I'm like oh my gosh I'm like I can like think about what I want and like have a goal and I was like because I was so like living in survival mode for so long Mm -hmm. and it was that was what made me decide to come to school I was like okay I'm gonna go to school and then I'm gonna pitch I'm just gonna show up at the native center and be like can you hire me and then they did so you just got to just put yourself out there. And I love listening to Jules Kustashian story oh, yeah. about how she like took a bus to Ottawa and yeah. like made, told a lie to get into a meeting and like she got into school. I was like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. <laughs> I know. I love that too. When you think about, you know, we've literally had to fight to get anything, to get anywhere, to have any of our rights or even lived realities recognized, but we still have to fight. So many of us still have to fight. And we are all, I don't think there hasn't been a single person on this podcast. And I've done like, I don't know, 150, 160 so far. They all have a story. They've all had struggles. And at one point in time, they all felt like they couldn't do it, or they weren't deserved of it, or they didn't know enough. But like, you know, Jules Kostachin, just like, oh, I'm not getting into school. Well, I'm just going to say what Buddy said. You know, I go, <laughs> oh, I'm just going to hitchhike there and have this meeting and demand to get it. And then it happened. What's the worst that could happen? 
They could have yep. still said no, but what's the best case scenario, mm-hmm. right? It happened. And look at you. You're working with MasterCard to teach people our culture. And I am so happy for you. Thank you, MasterCard, for doing that. <laughs> and for all the things that you do to share online, because the more we see Native people, and for me, like Native women, the more Native women I see online that just makes me feel happy. I feel like the online space is becoming, you know, like when you go home to the res or, you know, one of your communities and you're just like, oh, okay, I can decompress here. I can be myself. Well, online, like native TikTok starting to feel like that, you know, native (laughs) YouTube starting to feel like that. So, and that's in large part because of the things that you do. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming here, for sharing your story. I'm sure so many people are going to be inspired by it. I am. I don't know still if I have the skills to be a regalia maker. (laughs) I may keep trying to make these monstrous skirts. But that being said, uh, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you to all of the listeners who listen on the Warrior Life podcast. Thank you to all of the viewers or closed caption readers on YouTube. We try to make uh, this podcast as accessible as possible. Thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to learn. And now your mission is, if you accept this mission, to take action in whatever way possible. Whatever episode you hear someone make a call to action or how you can support them, then do that. Always start there. You don't have to solve all of uh, life's issues, but you can always start local. You can always start by supporting Indigenous peoples out there leading the way. Thank you for doing that. Like, subscribe, share, comment. Nice comments, please. Uh, Five-star reviews are great. All of these things. So support Deanne. Support Jules Kustashin and her amazing mission and support everybody uh, that you can think of. That's what reconciliation is and that's every single day. So thanks again and till next time, keep living a warrior life. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting my podcast. Your donations help me keep the Warrior Life podcast open access to everyone and free from those annoying ads. And it's super simple. Just click on the link below to sign up for a Patreon monthly or yearly subscription or click the links for the Buy Me A Coffee app or the Kofi app to make one-time contributions. And if you belong to an awesome community group, business or organization that's committed to Indigenous reconciliation, consider sponsoring an episode or two, or as many as you like. Thank you for helping me lift the voices of Indigenous warriors doing phenomenal things to help make our world a better place.